Good, it's good to see you all, smiling, lovely, lovely day and all that. Good, but I wonder if you've ever been involved in trying to lead people, whether it be one person, two people, whether it be a family, whether it be a group of friends, whether it be a church, at scouts or wherever, it's not that easy, is it? And particularly as the group gets bigger, it gets more difficult. I wonder if you've been involved in leading maybe something bigger, you know, and, and trying to get people to do what you want them to do, trying to get people all to the same place in the same time and try and get people to all do the same thing. Um, it's not easy and it's quite tiring. But I want to talk to you to start with about a guy who had to lead at least 600,000 people. This was 600,000 armed men, plus their children, plus their wives, plus their baggages, plus their tents, plus their everything, into a new land. Okay, I wonder what that would be like. I think it's more than 600,000 men, but I, that's what I wrote down. So it's a lot of people taking them into this new land. Also, the guy that's just been leading for 40 years or more is no longer around. And you've been second in command. This guy's been second in command, but all of a sudden, he's thrust into the limelight. And now it's his job to take all these people over this river into this land where there's very hostile forces and they've got to take the land according to what God has said to them. It's quite a big task, I would have thought. Wouldn't you? Yeah, I would have thought so. I wouldn't like that job. I'm sure, Paul, your new job won't be quite that uh, traumatic, but um, that's quite a big job. But the good thing for him, it's Joshua, by the way, I'm talking about. The good thing for him is that God had chosen him, God had prepared him, God had equipped him, and God had commissioned him. Um, and he'd had some kind of first-hand experience of being involved. I don't know if you remember the story of where uh, the Israelites had come against the Amalekites, another group of people, and Joshua's job was to lead the army to fight against these Amalekites, and Moses was on the hill, and every, all the time Moses put his hands up, they were winning the bat battle, and when he put his hands down, uh, the, the battle went against them. And if you remember, Moses got so tired that they had to sit him down. And, and, and uh, Aaron and her, I don't know what her name was, but she's just called her. Aaron and her had to stand and hold his hands up so the battle went well. Yeah? That's a strange way to fight a battle, isn't it? It's a strange way to fight. The Bible's full of strange stories, don't you think? They never do things as you, as you and I would do them. Hmm, maybe there's a lesson there. But we'll go on to that in a minute. And then the other thing that, um, that he, that he uh, so he, sorry, I'm just looking at my notes. I shouldn't really have notes. It doesn't help me. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> take them away if you want to. The other thing that Joshua had done, of course, was he's one of the spies, the 12 spies that Moses sent into the land. He said, go into the land, look what it's like, look what the fruit's like, look what the people's like, look what the city's like. Just go and come back. He didn't say, go and make a judgment whether we can do it. He said, go and find out what it's like. But of course, the ten spies came back with a judgment, we can't do it. And it was only Caleb and Joshua that came back saying, yeah, it's a big job, but we can do it. God can do it. And they, they, they held out for God, even though the other ten spies spoke negatively. And of course, the ten spies died soon after. And a whole generation died in the desert. And only Joshua and Caleb survived because they were the two that held on to the promises of God and said, we can do this thing. It looks big. It's a massive thing. There's giants in the land. It's going to be, you know, it's going to stretch our faith a little bit, but we can do it. Okay, so, so he's had a bit of experience. 
But there's one thing I want to talk about today that I believe was key to Joshua taking the land and doing what God had got for him because he became a mighty warrior. If you read in the book of Joshua, there's all sorts of battles going on and they take cities and things happen. But there's a key, I believe, and I want to kind of challenge us on this, this key um, as to, to what was part of his success or key to his success. Okay, I want to start off by looking at Moses because Joshua was, was the apprentice, if you like, or the assistant, it says, in the word. They hadn't had the apprentice program when they wrote the Bible, or they'd have called him the apprentice, but he was the assistant, the apprentice. He, he served Moses, and so he learned from Moses, and, and there's some key things, I believe, that he learned from Moses that, that we can learn as well. So I'd like to um, start, I don't know if you've got your Bibles, I know we've trained you by having a PowerPoint not to bring Bibles, but it's only Mark that's clever enough to do PowerPoints. So I haven't done one today, so sorry about that. But if you're looking at Exodus 33, starting at verse 7, and I'm reading from the ESV most of the time, and um, I want to just look at Moses a bit and see what was the secret of his success, and then what Joshua learned from him. Let me put that speaker there. And then we can learn. So this is a bit of a... It says, Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. So you've got this tent called the tent of meeting that they put outside the camp. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent... All the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. I'll read that bit of verse 11 again. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. So I've been thinking a, bit, a little bit about this meeting God face to face, being in God's presence. And I'm a bit of a kind of, um, I'm, a, I'm a PDA theologian. So if I can get it on my PDA, I, I know it. If not, I, I don't know. I don't have lots of books. I have books on my PDA. And one of the books I've got on my PDA is the IV, IVP Bible Background Commentary. So I just want to quote you a little bit from that. It says, speaking face-to-face is an idiom. Now, I don't know if you know what an idiom means, but it means that there's a group of words that doesn't quite mean what the individual word means, but it carries a sense of something. So speaking face-to-face is an idiom, and it suggests an open an honest relationship. So it's an open and honest relationship. So Moses had with God an open and honest relationship. And the other thing, just to mention while I'm here, again, I got this from the Bible background commentary. Um, obviously, this little section in the Bible is taking place just after the golden calf and God kind of really being cross with the... Oh, not cross, that's a horrible word. It, being really angry with the Israelites for making this golden calf. And so the tent of meeting is outside the camp because there's a sense that God can't meet in the camp because he would, you know, he's too holy to be in the camp with them at that time. But the tent of meeting, it's not the tent that we know about ourselves with the ark and the bowl and the, you know, all those things we know about the tabernacle. It's not the tabernacle. 
it's the tent. And this is, uh, it says, the tent of meeting was to be set upside the camp where Moses would receive guidance. It says, nothing is said to take place inside this tent, but the Lord meets with Moses at the door. There's nothing in the tent. There's no kind of all that paraphernalia that they had later that was symbolic of things to come. It was an empty tent. But God met with him at the door. Okay, so that's, that's really interesting. Then I just want to look as well at Numbers 12, 6 to 8. This again is talking about Moses. It gives us another aspect of, of this relationship that Moses had with God. And this is, again, this is God speaking to um, Aaron and Miriam. Was it Miriam? Yeah. And Moses, when they'd been, they'd been complaining about Moses and God was, again, angry with them. And so he was rebuking them. But this is what he said. He said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. And that's quite a, you know, that's in Hebrews, isn't it? But I'm not going to go there, but that's in Hebrews. You can do that for homework. That's an interesting thing to follow up in Hebrews. With him, with Moses, I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant? So again, God speaks to Moses clearly, not in riddles. And Moses sees the form of the Lord. Now this word form is the Hebrew timuna. This is from the Tyndale Old Testament commentary. There's another thing I've got on my PDA. Just showing off a little bit here. (laughs) And it says, this word timuna is used of visual representations, pictures or images of earthly and heavenly beings. So he's not actually seeing God himself. He's seeing the form, a representation of God. Because it says about no one can see the face of God and live. So, you know, it does get a bit confusing when you start reading the Bible, doesn't it? You think, oh, I'm not not quite sure. It says he saw him face to face, but no one can see his face. But no, he saw a a representation. In, in, um, In the book of Job, it says, Job saw someone's form, but could not identify the person from it. That's Job 4.16. Thus, although Moses enjoyed a much closer relationship with God than any ordinary prophet, he saw only God's form, not the very being of God. And then the last bit about Moses, or a couple of last bits, Deuteronomy 34, this tells us a bit about Moses' death, which is just before Joshua took over. It says, Moses, Moses was 120 years old when he died. Moses was 120 years old when he died, sorry. His eye was undimmed and his vigour unbated. That's what Mark's believing for, isn't it? I think 120 years of, of undimmed and vigor and abated. So we look forward to seeing that. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. And verse 10, And there has not arisen a prophet since Israel, Sorry, in Israel, like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent to him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and all his servants. So again, that's just the thing about face to face. And also in the Psalms, Psalm 103, verse 7 or 9, I'm not sure my writing there. It says, he made, no, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. So 
Moses has got a deeper relationship with God than the people around him. He's got a, a much deeper, he's got a very close relationship. He's, he's meeting him face to face. It's honest, it's open, it's not in riddles, and it, it's clear. And, and that's Old Covenant. That's Old Covenant. Okay? But what about Joshua? What about Joshua? Did Joshua learn any of this from Moses? I believe he did. And this is what I want to um, pick up on. Because I only read half of Exodus 33.11. If we go back there, Exodus 33.11, it says, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And then there's this little bit here. It says, When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Joshua would not depart from the tent. So he's staying in the tent, this empty tent. Apart from God is there. Learning, I believe, to spend time with God like Moses did. Part of his training, part of his equipping was learning, to, learning that relationship. Um, and you might say to him, and I'll come back to this a bit later, Joshua, what were you doing in that tent all that time? There was nothing there. What were you doing? He was relating to God. He was feasting on God. He was you know, doing all the things that, that one can do in God's presence. But he was, he was relating to God. And then the other thing about, uh, so he's got that, but also it's interesting, I think, this is my interpretation, I think, hopefully I'm right, that when Moses received the Ten Commandments and the law, Joshua was actually there on the mountain. I think he was there in the place. Because if you look in Exodus 24, and there's a bit of a section there from 9 to 18, but let me just dip in a bit. Um, In verse 14, so uh, they've got Moses and... He said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. So Joshua's up on the mountain when Moses is receiving the Ten Commandments, you know, drinking and feasting God. And the reason I think he must have been close was when they came down the mountain with the Ten Commandments, if you remember the film, if you've ever seen it. Joshua's there saying, it sounds like there's been a victory. And Moses says, no, that's not the sound of victory. It's the sound of feasting. And you know, then there's issues because of the, the, uh, the golden calf. But it sounds to me like Joshua was with Moses when Moses was receiving the Ten Commandments, when Moses was uh, you know, with God. Joshua was there learning how to spend time in the presence of God, learning what God was like, getting to know him. And that's really what I want to talk to us about today. I want to kind of challenge us um, about this whole thing about the presence of God. One of the things, before I go into that, though, is Joshua still needed an ongoing relationship with God. It wasn't like he'd spent time in his presence, now he knew what to do. Because if you read through Joshua, the book of Joshua, and I recommend it to you. I read the first nine chapters, I think. I just skim read it kind of thing. But it's quite exciting, all the things that are happening there. But... There was no kind of straightforward battle, really. There was no battle where they said, right, okay, lads, let's just go and take this city and then we'll go home for our tea. There was always something that had to be done. You know, the, the way they crossed the river to start with. Then when they crossed the river, they had to all be circumcised. You know, that's not the way to fight a battle. You know, injuring all your warriors in the sight of the enemy so they can't fight for a few days or a week or whatever. 
but, the, but he was obeying what God had said to him. And then fighting Jericho, if you remember. They had to walk around for, seven day, for six days saying nothing. And then on the seventh day, they had to walk around seven times and shout, and the walls fell down. That's not a normal battle. That's Joshua listening to God and obeying what God had said to him. And then we've got a couple of defeats for them. And again, I think it's because he didn't listen this time. Remember the, 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 um, when they were going to take AI, or however you say that word, A, it's spelled AI. They just went up to try and fight it with a few men. They said, oh, we, you know, they were sort of, we, we're good now. We've, we took Jericho while he's just shouting, so we can certainly defeat this city with a few men. So the few men went up, and they got hammered. You know, and it's, it's interesting that they got chased, and only something like 36 people got killed, which doesn't sound very many to me in terms of battles. But, they, you know, but anyway, they, it was a defeat for them because there was sin in the camp and, they, and Joshua hadn't listened to hear what God was saying. And it was only when they sorted all that out that they went, then, then went and took the, the city of Ai. 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 <laughs> Something, Ai. Yep. I'm sure it was Ai, really, but they spelt it wrong. The city of Ai. And then there's an interesting little story um, about the Gibbonites, and this is in Joshua 9, how these people were so frightened that they tried to trick the Israelites, or they did trick the Israelites. They got some really old provisions, and they got really old clothes, and they traveled three, three days or whatever it is from their place, and they came to Joshua and his men, and they said, look, we've, we want to make a treaty with you. We come from miles away. We've come from so far away that when we left, all our bread was warm, and our clothes were nice, and our, 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 kind of our, our wine things that are worn out now were, were fine. And it says, there's a tragic little verse, it says, that Joshua and his men looked at the provisions, they looked at the circumstances, they looked what seemed to be happening, but didn't ask counsel of God. And they ended up made, making a treaty with somebody who were quite close. And it became, I mean, they did make them their servants and the rest of it, but they had to then go and fight a battle because these guys got them into a battle because they got into... But they didn't ask counsel of God. So, so not only did Joshua need... Time in God's presence, time just getting to know God. He needed to be listening as he was going. And, and I think for myself, I know that that's what I need. Um, I was, I, I was, because, you know, when you're preaching, you do spend a little bit of time with God because, you know, it's the fear factor that kicks in, you know. Well, what's going to happen if I've got nothing to say? Um, and I was out for a walk and I was, I've been praying for quite a, you know, I've walked quite a long way and I'm praying, Lord, you know, I'm, here I am, my ears are open, I'll do what you say, blah, 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 blah. You know, and I'm, I'm praying, Lord, I want to hear, I want to... And then I bumped into somebody I knew, I'd known years ago, and I chat, 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 chat. You know, he said, what are you doing now? And I kind of... And anyway, and on I went. I thought, I didn't actually ask God, what do you want me to say? What, what am I doing? I just chat, chat, chat. Why didn't... You know, because I've been praying for half an hour. You know, Lord, I want to listen to you, I want to hear you, I want to speak your word. I thought, I need to remember, to remember, to say, God, what are you saying to this guy? Because I hadn't seen him for three or four years. What are you saying to him? What can I say to him of you that will make a difference in his life? So I think we all just need to learn to remember, don't we? But I want to talk about um, spending, time, spending time in God's presence and becoming a friend of him. And let me just preface this and say, it's only because of Jesus. It's only because of what Jesus has done. Jesus made the way. Um, and it's never because of our own merits. It's never, I just barge in there and say, God, whatever. 
It's only because of Jesus. And I have got a couple of references that you can look up later. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, and Hebrews 10, 19 to, uh, 19 to 23, which talks about Jesus making a way and being the sacrifice. But for the moment, I'm not going to go there. But I know I've talked about this before, and I think I've probably talked about this late last year, and some of you might have heard some of my um, illustrations and some of my stories, but for me, I think, I don't know, as you get older, you realise that although God can say a lot to you, there's, there's, there's life messages. There's things he says to you that he says over and over again, and we need to listen. Joyce wasn't very kind to me the other day. I was telling her about something that happened 35 years ago, and she told me I should have listened to it, really, and I'd have been in a much better place if I had it done. But that was very unkind. <laughs> I told her to shut up at the time, but <laughs> she didn't. Kept on talking. Anyway, so yeah. But anyway, no, it was good. It was good, Joyce. I should have heard it. But for me, one of, one of my early, early preaches, I, I don't know if it was the first one, I don't think it was the first one, was about Samuel and how Samuel spent time in the presence of God, ministering to the Lord, it says. And even though there was all kinds of wickedness going on around him, he ministered to the Lord, even when he was a little guy. And eventually got to a place where God spoke to him. You know that story uh, when God spoke to him three times and he kept running to the priest and saying, here I am, Lord. And he said, no, it's God speaking. He cottons on eventually. And it says that God let none of his words fall to the ground. But he accomplished everything he said because he, uh, he was listening. And so, so that's been on my life. And I haven't necessarily listened to it. But, that's, but I've known, even from early on, whenever I've preached, if I, if I go into God's presence and worship, the word's going to come. I just forget. I think this is the trouble. But, you know, I didn't necessarily know the, understand why. But, you know, if I'm sitting there writing and, and it's stuff, just go and worship God and it, and it comes. Um, and then, so that was, I don't know, that was probably 30 years ago, 35 years ago. And, and I've been trying to walk in that. But I haven't necessarily walked in it very well. But God has continued to keep speaking to me about this whole thing that if I spend time in the presence of God and listen to his counsel, I'll have his word to declare to his people, not just preaching, but in, in, in everyday life, you know, if I, I'll be able to speak the word of God to, to people around about, which is what I want, I'm sure everybody wants, to be able to say to people what God is saying to them, because that's the only thing that really helps them at the end of the day, you can give them platitudes or whatever, but if you say to them what God is saying, he can really unlock something, he can set them free, he can, you know, really change their lives, and that, and that, but as I say, we forget sometimes and we forget to, um, to, to listen, don't we? But then, then when we were in Mayfield as a church, so this must be 10 years ago, I'm not, not sure how long ago, it was quite a long time ago, I, I, I was out uh, for a walk again, and I had this impression, it's not like a picture, it's not, I don't know what it is, it's like an impression, I, I, I knew I was on the battlefield, and I was fighting for the army of the Lord, as you do, but the battle, I knew the battle was going really badly, and we were getting slaughtered, and I was saying, Lord, send the deliverer, send the deliverer. And then I kind of got the impression this horse, this man on a horse, which I took to be Jesus, came onto the battlefield. I'm thinking, oh, this is great. We're going we're gonna to win now. But he came up to me and he just kind of got me on his horse and took me and we went aside somewhere. And we just sat. And I was conscious that I was in a place where, where Jesus was and there were other people around and there were people going on, on errands, if you like. People, you know, people were going, would be sent out to do this and come back. And I just got the feel that Again, it's time in God's presence. 
that's so important, that if I want to win the battle, if we want to win the battle, if we want to be successful, it's time in God's presence. Not as a legalistic thing, but as a, just a, as we spend time with him, we learn and we hear his word and then we can go out and do what he's saying. Um, so that, that was that and that's great. But then the other day I had a, <laughs> had a, a, so this is 10 years on, so please don't think I'm getting things all the time. You know, this is 30 years, 10 years now. So, I think so. it shows you the distance in between. So, you know, not that I don't hear God in the meantime, but, you know, it's kind of like, I was, as I said, I've been out praying quite a lot. And we're trying to lose a bit of weight as well. We're trying to get this chiseled thing that, Mark, that, that Paul's talking about. But it's coming slowly. But, so I've been doing quite a lot of walking and praying. And I was um, out walking and I, was, I ended up singing. And, you know, perhaps they think I'm odd around where we do. I don't know. But I do, go, I do sing, you know, and go out singing and I pray in tongues and stuff. And actually, it's quite funny because at the end of this time, I was walking up the alleyway singing and this... One of my neighbours came past on a bike and <coughs> gave me a real kind of little heart attack. And I said, oh, you know. And then when I got home, she said, oh, you're really singing there, weren't you? I said, yeah, I was really singing. <laughs> Oblivious. Anyway, but I was, I was singing, uh, as you do, I can't remember. It was a song of, it, it wasn't really a song. It was kind of like singing in the spirit and stuff. And it kind of ended up being a bit like a dance. Um, I was, singing, I was singing a dance tune, you know, not like dance tunes that young people know, but, you know, it was like, um, it wasn't a square dance or a barn dance. It was that kind of thing, you know, where you, you've got dances where you do 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 and all that kind of, you know, it wasn't a barn dance. And I really got this, I was just singing, I got the impression that God was dancing with me. Okay, and he was really enthusiastic dancing, and I'm joining in and round around. But part of me is thinking, this isn't very cool, I'm not sure I like these kind of dances. <laughs> Okay, and so this went on for a bit, and then I'm saying, but Lord, what about the preach on Sunday? And he was still dancing, you know, and, and I want to get this preach sorted, and he's just wanting to dance with me. So in the end, you know, it was, again, it's always heart preparation, isn't it? I realize that I'm quite a selfish person. I always want God to do what I'm doing, but he wanted to dance with me, and, you know, sometimes in a relationship, one person always does what they want, and the other one always has to do the same. That's, that's sometimes how we are with God. And I just thought, I need to st- stop being like that. And I need to, to be, God, what are you doing? What do you want to do at this time? And let me do it with you. Not because I have to. Because at first I thought, you're joining if I have to. But I thought, no, that's not right either. I joined him because that's what the Father wanted to do. He wanted to dance with me. Who am I to do any different? So, you know, I think this is a bit wacky, really. I've had a few things recently where I've, things have happened. I think, oh, this is not me. I don't do this kind of thing. But actually, it probably is me. I probably do do that. I need to stop saying that because that's the negative of my life. So, yeah. So, I realize it's about relationship. And it's about me doing what God is doing. If he wants to dance with me, that's fine. Because he knows there's a preach coming. He knows all about these things. He's got them in his hand. A friend of mine used to say that um, you go for a walk and he's asking God for a say, for instance, a chocolate bar. And God says, well, just sit down and talk and chat, 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 chat. And then he would say to him at the end, here's your chocolate bar. I know it's not quite like that, but you know what I'm saying. It's an idiom. <laughs> or it's a metaphor or something, one of those. Sometimes I know these words. I don't know what they mean. But um, it's a picture. Because God knows what we need. He knows our needs. And we can get so needy in his presence. Whereas, we, let's just go and say, God, what are you doing this morning? And it, for me, it was dancing. It, it may not be dancing for you. It may be 
fixing an engine, if that's your thing, or I don't know, you know, different days it might be different. But, you know, Jesus said, I always do what, I, what the Father, what I see the Father doing. I say what I hear the Father saying. Father, what are you doing at this time? Because the, the, the sense of the Greek is, at that time. I, I'm doing it because the Father's doing it now. I'm doing it as well. I want to be that kind of person that says, Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing in this meeting? Let me do it with you. And not to assume that, you know, because I was thinking, and I, I, <laughs> God's not always sitting on his throne for me. I didn't say he wasn't always in control. But he doesn't always have to sit on his throne. He can get off his throne and dance with me. Or whatever. I'm being a bit pokey. I'm being a bit spiky on purpose. But you know, God is always in control. And he's always God. He's always the Father. But the stuff he wants to do with us. He wants to dance with us. He wants to delight in us. Maybe he wants to fix engines with us. Maybe he wants to fish with us. I, I don't know. But whatever it is. So, yeah. So, there's a, I've been reading the Passion Translation as well. I don't know if you've come across that. Fantastic. Really fantastic. I've got it on my little PDA thing. But, but I've noticed, actually, the, the cheapest way to get it is on the Kindle. But the books are quite nice as well, aren't they? They're, they're pretty. They've got purple covers and turquoise covers and different things, haven't they? Sorry, Mark. Is that, if we choose our translations by the prettiness of the, <laughs> the cover. I know that's not what we've been taught, but that's what we do. But so I, I really recommend you, because not only does it kind of enlarge the, or, or make different the thing, but some of the notes, when you read the notes, are just fantastic. And I was reading the Passion Translation, and it was, these are all the verses I haven't used. Oh, yes, Proverbs 23, 15 to 16. I, I wouldn't look it up, because this is what the Passion, it says, My beloved child... When your heart is full of wisdom, my heart is full of gladness. And when you speak anointed words, we are speaking mouth to mouth. So I looked in the little notes, and it says, 2360, when you, when you speak anointed words, or speak what is right, and then this thing about mouth to mouth, it says, and this is from the Septuagint, is that how you say it? Septuagint? Septuagint? That's a kind of a Greek thing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It says, because that's what this guy does. He takes things from the Aramaic and from the Hebrew and, you know, and just adds a bit of nuance. He says, your lips shall speak with my lips. Your lips shall, so speaking mouth to mouth, your lips shall speak with my lips. That's what I want. Yeah. That's what I want. That when I talk, it's God talking because I've spent time with him and I've listened and I'm listening. It's not just I've listened, I'm listening. I do have a bit of a trouble with listening. I, I'm a guy, I suppose, that's part of it. But I was once in a meeting where this guy was doing, it was a children's workers meeting, so that you get a bit more wacky in those kind of things. And so people perhaps are a bit more direct and also they've got props. So this guy puts earphones on me and gave me a microphone. And basically said, you've got two ears, one mouth. <laughs> listen more than you speak. Okay, I need to listen more than I speak. And most of us do, don't we? We need to listen. And then we speak. My lips 
will speak with your lips. So, I just want to say, this is all I want to say, God is looking for a deepening relationship with each one of us. And it's an invitation. You don't have to do it. You're already a friend of his. But God wants you to be a a much closer friend. He wants you to go closer. From where you're at now, he wants you to go closer to him by spending time with him. One of the things I forgot to say was that... um, I think probably some of you know I don't work as much now as I used to. I only do two days a week. And two days a week I have time to, to spend in God's presence. And, and I, I would, felt a bit like Joshua, you know, because people say to me, oh, have you got a job yet? I say, I'm not looking for a job at the moment. I'm looking to spend time with I don't say it so clearly because I go, intimacy, because I'm a bit mass. Or, you know, even, even at home. And, and people might say to me, what are you doing in that bedroom all day? Leah reckons I'm sleeping. <laughs> he tells me to go back, granddad, and sleep in your bedroom. Sometimes I do sleep, to be honest. <laughs> if, you lie, if you lie in your bed reading the words, sometimes you do go to sleep. So that does happen. But it's a bit like Joshua in that tent. What are you doing all, the day, all day in that tent, Joshua? I'm looking to spend time with God. I'm looking to learn how to spend time in his presence. I'm looking to, to know who he is. I'm looking to, to know him face to face. In um, Corinthians, it talks about... Um, we see, th- 1 Corinthians 13, isn't it? We see through a mirror darkly, I think, or dimly. I've got it here somewhere, but I'm quoting it from head. Uh, then, when we get to heaven, we'll see him face to face. But I want to polish my mirror so it's as clear as it can be. I don't want to put up with a dark old mirror that I can hardly see anything. I can't, I can't see you, Lord. Have you, got, have you got a face or can't see? I want to polish that mirror, you know, polish by spending time with him, worshipping him, reading his word, just being with him. So I, I believe that God wants each one of us to go deeper. And, it, and as I say, it's up to you. I know you, a lot of you are busy, and, but we've all got time that we can go to. I've, I've just stopped looking at Facebook for the last month. Just to say, just what a waste of time. What a waste of time. Okay, waste your time if you like, but how much better to, to spend time with God, eating and drinking with him. And, and it, it, it does make a difference. Sometimes you don't think it does, but I'm finding it does make a difference. I am changing. I am changing. Declaring it, you know. No, that's true. I'm changing, you know, and I'm becoming someone I didn't think I would be. I'm doing stuff and I'm saying, oh, this isn't me. I don't normally do this. But, it, but it's God, because that is me. I'm, a, I'm his son. I can listen, and I can hear, and I can do those things that perhaps I thought were for the spiritually minded amongst us. It's, it's for all of us. And I believe it's just about giving him more time and saying, what are you doing, Lord? What do you want me to know? What do you want to talk about to me? What do you want to talk to me about now? What do you want to say? What do you want me to read? And reading his word, and just allowing him to speak and draw us in so we know him. You know, because it's a relationship. We're all in this relationship with, with, with God the Father, if we've, if we've become Christian. We're all in that relationship. But like with any relationship, if you don't see somebody for two years, you're not going to know them quite as well as if you see them every day and you talk intimately and you talk at depth, are you? And we could, we've all got relationships, perhaps, where we've just neglected them and let them go. And we just think, oh, it's a shame I don't know that person so well, or it's a shame 
I don't know my wife as well as I could or whatever it is. But if we spend time with them and give them our undivided attention, all that kind of thing. So yeah, so I've just got an invitation. Come deeper. Come deeper with him. Spend time with him. Get to know him. Get to know his heart. Get to know his love for you. And, and I just sensed as I was walking, I, obviously I knew what the songs were because, you know, it's a bit of a Bostock show today. Not, but I knew, so, but, and that was great worship, but I knew the song. It is from a sense of love. It's not a legalistic thing. It's a sense of love. God just loves you so much. He desires that you come closer. You know, it talks in that song about him singing over us, dancing over us. Um, in one of the, in Psalm 100. 39 in the, in the Passion, it's fantastic. It talks about God's thoughts about us, thinking about us all the time. His thoughts towards us are so many. And when, when we wake up, he's still thinking about us. Fantastic, the love of God. And he just wants us to know him. And it's open to all of us. There's nobody that can't draw closer to God. It's open to all of us. If, if you've got this amount of time, use that amount of time. If you've got this amount of time, use this amount of time. But just give it to him. Um, you know, where have I been? I'm 57 now. Where have I been all my life? I should have been... It's a shame I didn't catch this a bit earlier. You know, but, yeah. Because we're going to spend eternity getting to know him, aren't we? Getting to know him better. But let's start now. Let's start now. Let's polish that mirror so we can see him as clearly as possible.